you all weekended well good fine folk out there in SENZ land welcome into another week as we build towards Christmas cricket season is in full swing isn't it and um, timely wins for the Black Caps and the White Ferns over the weekend which is just great Uh, catching up with Mealy Kerr who was captain with Sophie Devine ruled out I think she had a cortisone injection in her knee or something like that um, so uh, Mealy Kurt took over the captain's armband and just put on a uh, an individual clinic. She is just world class, isn't she? So <clears throat> they have a game tomorrow in Queenstown, first um, first of the next lot of series against Pakistan, uh, the one day. So we'll catch up with her in their between day, which is today, just about quarter past one. We will catch up with her. As I just mentioned a smithy, we're going to catch up with Aunt Nita, who's. You know, full disclosure, he's a good mate of mine, but um, no one knew that he was competing in Taupo uh, in the half Ironman, Charlie. It's a bit precious, Charlie, to say, don't say Ironman, say half or the 70.3. I could do half that distance and I'd feel like an Ironman. So the half Ironman was in uh, Taupo over the weekend. We talked to the event organiser last week, um, and I think Brett from Huntley. Went down there and viewed. I, th- he, I thought he wasn't going to go, but he must have got a, a pass out from the CEO of the household in Huntley. Uh, I think he went down and watched. Uh, saw some great photos, some great footage of the um, half Iron Man on Instagram from a whole bunch of people. Brilliant. So uh, I'll catch up with Ant because I didn't even know he was training for it. And let's find out from a debutante half Iron Man and see how the training went why he did it and what it was like. Just, uh, I don't care what time he did. We'll probably find out from him, but I just think that is a huge effort, a huge effort from him. So we'll find out about that. We'll also find out what's making news. We'll revisit Show Me The Money at some stage as well. Um, Going to replay an interview with um, John Massara from The Weekend, who is, uh, is Louie and Mick. They caught up with him. What's the show called, uh, Joey? The Mail Run. The Mail Run. The Mail Run. Didn't know whether it was the Good Oil or the Mail Run, but it's the Mail Run. Uh, so, yeah, so John Massara and I was at the TAB when the Massara report was commissioned by Winston Peters, who was the then Minister of Racing, and I think he had about 32 action points to be undertaken. Uh, they sort of touch on that with John Massara, but because a lot of people are doing other things in the weekend, um, very interesting sports story, and... Um, very well-credentialed racing man is John Massara. So we'll bring you that after 2 o'clock. Uh, just waiting to hear back from the Coast Guard. 
Um, I've been in touch with them. They said they'll get someone to us. It's either going to be at 140, might be at 220, just to keep everyone safe out on the water as we build to Christmas, of course. And we will also go across the ditch with Jimmy Smith to start our week as per normal at about 245. I'm getting lots of messages on my phone. I'm just wondering if um, just wondering if I'm getting a confirmation from anyone that's important. No. Um, so first half hour. Give us a hand buying presents, please. My family's awesome at buying presents. I always get presents for Christmas that I had never thought of something that I'd like, but they're always on the money, and I just feel mine in return are just a bit crap. And I think there's some... You don't have to know the people that well, but I just... I don't know why. I'm good at lots of things, but I'm not very good at identifying the sort of things to get parents and sisters. So a bit of a hand on 0800 And even if you could tell me, like, the greatest present you never thought you'd get, but you got. Um, or the worst, things to stay away from. The classic old socks and undies. Although my dad likes socks and undies. He likes socks and undies. Um, yeah, Marshy. Marshy says, Staffy, there was no White Fern ODI games on the weekend. Poor planning by New Zealand cricket, I reckon, eh? And the interesting thing is after this series, they don't play again till March. It's a, I guess the good thing is the White Ferns will go back to domestic cricket, which will add to the stocks of that. But I thought we could have had another one series at some stage. Anyway, 8833 is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Remember Temper and Bedpost? They have a range of mattresses and adjustable bases that adapt to your body, no matter what shape it is. You can put your head and feet up in comfort. So double eight, double three, Christmas present ideas, great ones, terrible ones, just need a bit of help. Uh, Mikey in Christchurch. G'day, Mikey. G'day, Staffy. Yeah, that's strange that the uh, the White Ferns aren't playing because, I mean, mm. isn't summer all about going to see the cricket? It's supposed to be, <laughs> but we can go and not, see them domestically, much. I suppose. But uh, Yeah, but it's international stuff. Is that right? Mm. Um Anyway, uh, I've put in massive hints. In fact, I haven't even hinted. I've kind of said I want the uh, the Wayne Smith um, memoir for Christmas. Oh yes, yes. Um, I think that would be a fascinating read, not only on on its philosophies and history, but I think it details the um, the Women's World Cup um, road to the road to victory as well. You could almost, without having read it, you could probably almost rename it the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> the Bible for rugby I think fans. I'd believe in that a lot. I'd believe in, in that a lot more than the other one. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Wayne Smith book. So, yeah, great shout. So, um, and I think, uh, I mean, I've heard, I've heard from some people who've read it. It's fantastic, and I think that's a must read. Sports fan, mm. um, I would have thought. So, anyway, that's a real quick one. Excellent. Well done, sir. No worries. Take it easy, mate. You have a great day. Cheers, mate. In fact, it's just reminded me of one of the best presents I heard of. A friend of mine got a hammock and a book and strung it up between two trees. The hammock, got in the hammock, read his book. Great present because hammocks aren't that expensive if you get the ones that you can adjust yourself. Here he is. Here he is, the uh, SENZ correspondent on all things uh, triathlons, Ironmans and half Ironmans. Brett from Huntley. G'day, Brett. Get a break. Fast day down there. Yeah. Very fast conditions. Um, paint a glass for um, for the lake. 
Beautiful. No winds, overcast all day, and um, those guys were absolutely flying. Now, you told, uh, it was either me or someone on some show, you said, watch out for this guy who can run. Who was that fast? Jack was it Moody. Jack Moody. Did he, did he put up the fastest split time? Fastest split by uh, two minutes. Wow. By over two minutes. Um, yeah, so he finished second um, behind local boy Kyle Smith. Uh, he was behind an Aussie dude, and he overtook him on the last corner and out-sprinted him in the shoot to beat him by two seconds. Oh. Great second spot, Jack Moody. Grandstand finish for the silver and bronze. Yeah, it was unreal. Fantastic. And uh, Kiwi's uh, first and third in the ladies. Tauranga's Hannah Berry. She was quite comfortable um, on the run and held off a, a Dutch girl, Lottie Wilms, who I'd never heard of before. And um, she races for the same team that Theresa Adam used to race for, Paywag. And uh, Rebecca Clark, oh, she lives in Wanaka, now she comes third. So... They'll all be towing the line this time next year with Hayden Wild, who will be very tough to roll. Yeah, because this this race was a qualifier for the World Champs for for uh, for athletes that hadn't already qualified. Is that right? Yep, that's right. So who did? So Braden, he got fourth place, so he punched his ticket. Ah, okay. And uh, he's he's in his off season, sort of at the moment, is he? Yeah. And that's that's like he's like a, a two mile horse coming back to the mile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and Hayden Wild, Hayden Wild is a, a twelve hundred meter horse, and he'll be stepping up to the mile this time next year. How, he's incredible, isn't he, Hayden Wild? Yeah. So he won seventy point three Melbourne last month, I think it was, and he ran a one oh eight, and Jack ran a one ten yesterday. But I would say that I don't know the Melbourne course, but I would say that run course would be a bit faster, a uh, few less hills than the Taupo waterfront. Is Hayden's, um, I, I don't want to say worst, is his least best discipline swimming? That, that, that's what I sort of glean from it, because he's, he's a weapon on the bike and he can scoot. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, he'll always be working away at that swim. He's... Um, Kyle Smith is uh, phenomenal at the swim. He came out of the water with Javier Gomez. Yeah. And um, Javier had, um, he got a drafting penalty out on the bike. So that's five minutes that he has to stand down. And then he picked up a puncture afterwards. And so he just pulled the pin on that. Pulled the pin on his day. Yeah, I was a bit gutted. I wanted to see um, him running. Kyle was Kyle Smith was racing with Kurt McDonald, the Aussie boy. Um, they came out of transition, uh, shoulder to shoulder, and they raced. They ran together for 15k's before Kyle managed to um, put a bit of a break on them. Was there lots of people out watching, Brett? Uh, it's the crowd is not not as big as I thought it was going to be. Um, my you, I usually judge it off the March crowd that you have at Ironman, which is massive. So um, I'd say. No, it wasn't as big as what I thought it was going to be. Okay, okay, and but the field was was still pretty good. Lots of, I guess, lots of Kiwis can have a crack at a, at a proper big event. Yeah. Oh, another good one to see was uh, Ultraman champ Simon Crocker. And I wonder if he was actually got warmed up. <laughs> What's an Ultraman? <laughs> oh, he's that guy. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he's that guy. Yeah. So he does 
three-day three-day race, 10K swim, followed by 145 bike. And then I think they do a two seven, uh, 240 on the second day, and then they double marathon on the third day. Yeah. So he won that in Hawaii um, about two weeks ago. Fantastic. Fantastic. When's your so next comp, mate? Stroll around. Uh, trying to do Ironman, eh? Eh? <laughs> trying to do Ironman in March. Oh. One more, Steffi. One more. Come on, boy. Let's go. Let's go. We'll get live updates. I'm parked outside the pool. I'm about to go snort some chlorine now. Oh, that's the man. That's the man. Good on you, Brett. Won't hold you up. Thank you, See you, mate. Brett from Huntley. Inspirational man he is. And we'll be talking to first time half Iron Man. A uh, competitor. Uh, and he completed it. Uh, made of mine, Ant Neetle. Uh, used to work with him at the TAB, actually. We used to do a uh, show called Head Art and Balls, me, him, and Nisbo. In fact, we got Ant in here and got Nisbo online because when we, when we all finished it about the same time at the TAB, we'd done 99 shows. And everyone's saying, you've got to come back and do the 100th. So I think in our first year at SENZ, I got Ant into studio and we did our 100th show, <laughs> which was a bit fun. <laughs> but... Uh, a little bit less risque, I think you could say. Um, <clears throat> Broadcasting Standards Authority. Uh, right. Um, staff, I just give the brothers and families a leg of ham and my own family cash, and the wife gets a bit extra. What does that mean, Ken? Bit extra cash or ham and cash and extras? That's not bad. Uh, hi, Staffy. You can't beat an experience. So I buy my son Warriors tickets and flights and two nights in Auckland. Jamie from Warwick, that's a great one. That's a great one. An experience. See, I traditionally, here's one I always give my niece because typical me, it was about four years ago. Must have been 2019, yeah. Uh, we were having Christmas at my sister's in Papamoa and I thought, man, I haven't bought my niece a present. So I just went to a shampoo shop and bought her shampoo and conditioner, expensive stuff. She said the best present ever. So every Christmas from then on, Sophie gets shampoo and conditioner. Did you hear that ding on here? Did you hear that ding on here? Um, that's the Coast Guard. We're going to be talking to Rob McCaw, Head of Operations from Coast Guard at 140. Here we go. There we go. And it's fabulous. It gives me more time to write my watch making news. So that's the dulcet tones of Joey Bell, who we gave a big farewell to last week. Not farewell from the station, just from the show. He's been filling in for Sammy Hewitt. Sammy was going to be back today, but sadly got a funeral to go to. Um, not a nice thing to go to after you've been away in the US for three or four weeks and the first thing you do when you get back to New Zealand is go to a family member's funeral, but um, his grandmother-in-law. So uh, if you're listening, Sammy, on the way in, uh, thoughts are with you, but he'll be back tomorrow. Well, he's just panelling for the cricket, but um, great to have Joey Bell, which means we're going to get a little a little treat when I thought that we had played for the last time uh, Joey's Sporting Headlines intro. So now there were people saying they wanted to have that intro as his ringtone. So set up record on your tape deck and then you can ingest it or however you do that. I don't know how you do that. Mark said he's a great correspondent as Brett. He is, isn't he? He's a fantastic correspondent. He won't be listening now. He'll be putting on the speedos and adjusting the goggles and getting ready to look at the black line for a couple of hours. It's quite interesting. I've often thought, I've had about, I've had about, 
four or five friends of mine, or probably more, either marathons or half tries or, or sorry, half Ironmans or triathlons, and they're not athletically gifted, but they've set themselves a challenge. I particularly remember a couple of golfing buddies of mine many years ago said, let's have give the Rotorua Marathon a crack. Um, and I went up as their support team, like giving them flat coke and stuff like that on the way around. Neither of them had ever run uh, – sorry, they'd both done a 5K run in Palmy. That was their build-up to do the Rotorua Marathon, and they both finished. Um, an incredibly Batman, uh, Dino – he commentated his last 400 metres like a horse racing caller. And there's that big, long 400 metres into the, what is it, the gardens or something in the middle of Rotorua with that big colonial building. Massive big shoot. And he was going down, whipping his thigh like a, like a jockey on a horse, commentating himself finishing the Rotorua Marathon. And now Ant Neetle, he's just done the half Ironman. And other people, see Brett... I don't know what um, athletic background he had. It's quite inspirational, isn't it? That um, people said, maybe I need to set myself something like that, Joey. I actually did set myself. I was going to do the Ocean Swim Series uh, and then got frozen shoulder, and that sort of knocked me out. I've just started swimming again, so maybe I should do. It's probably too soon to do the Ocean Series this year. It starts in about a month. But, yeah, has anyone out there ever set themselves one of those targets of a marathon or a half, tro- a half Ironman or, or an Ironman? Something like that. Be keen to hear your stories as well. Anyway, Christmas present ideas. Uh, socks and undies never go amiss. Yeah, I guess it's safe, isn't it? Socks and undies. Books. Is, uh, we're getting a few saying books as well. Um, Spotify premium for a year so I don't have to listen to the jolly ads in the car. That's not a bad gift idea. <laughs> It's sort of a gift to yourself and to the person you're giving it to. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, 0800 150 Help people out in a bind. Just some great ideas for Chrissy presents. All text them through. We're getting a few texts through on double eight double three. We'll take a quick break. Oh, we're only a few minutes away from the Joey Jingle. I know you're all hanging out for it. Um, I just uh, popped out during the air break asking for um, greatest Christmas presents people have ever received. Best ideas are going to go in the uh, draw for a uh, Castle's a Castles Brewing Co. Award winning freshness and quality. I think they're lagers, actually, from Castles. So a 12-pack of that um, up for grabs for the best Christmas gift ideas. Uh, either phoning us on 0800 or double eight double three on the text machine. So uh, PlayStation 2 was Brendan English's favourite gift he got um, when he was seven years old. <laughs> um Lots of experienced ones coming through. Um, a day spa voucher for the wife is a beaut. It's not a bad idea, like the full facial and the body scrubs and all that sort of thing. Go and give yourself a treat there. That's not a bad one. A car grooming voucher for the bloke of the house. Go and get it cut and polished and valeted. And Oh, yes. I actually uh, I spent about five hours. Grooming my car yesterday. <laughs> I get quite, I'm quite um, finicky with my car. I love, I love a cut and polish. I put all the restorer on the dashboard and on all, all the um, plastic and vinyl and leather and all of that all through the car. Magnificent. Got a few little spot stains out of carpet and upholstery. I love it. Um, 
Nick said, I got given a coffee subscription from my favourite coffee producer. That's awesome. Was awesome. That is an awesome gift. That is an awesome gift. Hi, Staffy. I organise the Ruby Swim in the Lake Wanaka. It's on the 27th of January around Ruby Island in Lake Wanaka. And the best bit, it's sponsored by Emerson's Brewery. So if you're keen to let me know, you can call me on this number if you want to swim and a pint in Wanaka. Jamie, January 27. Jamie, how far is it? January 27. That gives me six weeks to get my mileage up. I'm currently... I'm currently at 500 metres. But when I started, I was two, and then I went three, and then I went four, and now I'm at five. I think I'll be at about a K by the end of the month. How fast the swim, Jamie? Oh, 27th. 27th, I'm back at work. Don't know if that can work. Um, but yeah, Christmas gift, best ideas. 0800 We go to the life member of the Afternoons with Staffy Show, Zaid White. Uh, how was your birthday, Zaid? Yeah, it was good, thanks. Burgers? Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Did you have burgers for your birthday? You mean for lunch or after? No, no, dinner. What was the family What was the family feed? Oh, I just chilled and got some KFC in. <sighs> wicked wings? Yeah, I got some wicked wings, yeah. Good man, good man. Anyway, how was your weekend? What are you up to? Yeah, it was good, thanks. Um, enjoy the cricket. Um, I actually want to say... Um, Great selection on uh, Mitchell Santner and um, also Glenn Phillips um, was the only one that could bat in both teams, really. Um, but but there's definitely something wrong with that pitch. How can you bowl a team up for 144? Just crazy. It's just crazy that but, that, that that's uh, allowed. On uh, on Christmas presents, um, a gift voucher is always not a bad option. You know, for their um, for their favourite store or something. Um, a sporting like a a sporting shirt for um, their favourite team they support or something could be a good idea as That's well. That's a good one. That's you know a good that. One. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like experiences if they're like a um, uh, what do you call them? The adrenaline junkie, like a skydive, or I mean, or something like that. If you're off your something a bit more expensive, or a bungee jump, or um, you know what else is quite good? That um, the uh, water rafting in Auckland. Is it Wero? Oh, like the Wero water park. The, yes, um, yes. Yeah, or there's like the zip lining could be a good option, or the um, uh, what's it called? The tree, you know, the tree one, the where you climb the trees. Oh yes, uh, over at Waiheke Island, is it? Or Rotorua? There's one in Auckland as well. Yeah. Is there? Where is it in Auckland? I think it's called yeah Treetop, Treetop Adventures or something like that. Nice. I didn't know there was one yeah, in Auckland. Well, yeah. You know, there's always like an easy box of chocolates or assortment uh, biscuit packs or some sweets or <laughs> See, you know, I, something like that. I always think chocolates and biscuit packs and that is, if you can't really think of anything else, you just do that. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's always a nice option for something easy and cheerful and cheap, I guess. Or a nice Auckland Blues jersey, eh, Zade? But Yeah, the thing with that is they're not even available till next year, though. Oh. Oh, yeah. an Auckland Blues jersey voucher. <laughs> <laughs> the Warriors ones might be available. Maybe if you can get your hands on them, that's going to be a problem. 
with Warriors shirts for Christmas Day days, but I don't know. Yeah, I think the Warriors jerseys, the new ones, have sold out already. Yeah, Joey's giving me the nod. They've sold out already. It's not very it's good. Gonna mean, so, so, so that's off the Christmas list as well, then? <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe, maybe, maybe a Warriors or a Blues membership might be an option. Now the, now you're talking. Now you're talking. There we go. There we go. We've, we've landed on something there. We've landed. Good yeah. good man, Zane. Okay. Always good to chat Thank to you, buddy. You. Cheers, mate. Um, Steph, uh, where's Steffi? Uh, uh, oh, yes, we're just going to save that one for Show Me The Money. Uh, Steffi, I'm always keen on card games or board games for family Christmas gifts. Summertime, barbecues, family game challenges. Dave from Nelson, I'm with you. I'm with you. Our board games come out. Bit of euchre, bit of 500, a uh, bit of Trivial Pursuit back in the day at the beach. Loved it. Good idea. Good idea. Staffy, you can't beat a fishing charter or a hunting weekend voucher, mate. Marshy. Marshy, do you sell vouchers to go hunting with you? That's making its way up my bucket list. I'd love to go for a hunt with Marshy because I've never been hunting. Never been. Done, done a bit of fishing. Never been hunting. Ever. Duck shooting would be the closest I've ever been. Never been hunting. You're quite a soft soul, though, aren't you? You're a I pacifist, am. really. Yeah, I don't know if I could pull the trigger. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> pull the trigger. Anyway, we can wait no longer. Let's go. Headlines. I know you want them. I know you want them. I know you want them, but you're a good boy. Time for Joe's headlines. Alrighty. Oh, it's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all you are all on the nice list, so I thought I'd be nice and come back for one more day. Uh, New Zealand have won the latest sale GP round in a dramatic photo finish in Dubai. Canada were judged to have crossed the line first, but were penalised for an instant earlier in the race, handing New Zealand the victory. The United States have beaten the Black Sticks women 5-4 in North Carolina to draw the two-test series one all. New Zealand won the first game yesterday 4-3. And success in the second round of the Sevens World Series eluded the All Black Sevens and Black Fern Sevens in Cape Town at the weekend. The Black Fern Sevens went down to France 12-24 in the semi-finals, while the All Black Sevens were rocked 36-21 by a ferocious island. The Black Fern Sevens ended up finishing third, overcoming the USA in the, sem- uh, the third-place playoff, while the men won their playoff for fifth over home team South Africa 31-7. Mm. It's amazing how South Africa have fallen away in the sevens. So I was going to say yeah. how New Zealand have, like, we got pumped in the semis or quarter by Ireland. I watched the first half and we were down 20-odd nil. Um, got 21 points in the second half, but Ireland had 36. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting. A couple more, got time for a couple more gift ideas. Thank you, Joey. Thank you, Joey. Looking forward to have us one already. Staff, cheers for the beers. Oh, this is our mate Graham from Marlborough, formerly in Northland. He won um, a 12-pack of castles. He says, cheers for the beers. They arrived at my place when I was up north, and my wife put a couple in the fridge for me for when I got home on Saturday night, which was just what I needed after another visit to see my dear old mum. Great tasting beer. Thanks again. There's an endorsement of castles, Graham. Hope the trip was uh, was good, mate. I know I know what you're going through, mate, and we are all thinking of you, buddy. Uh, best Christmas present ever was the one I got myself. I got the wife a weekend at a beauty spa, and she, oh, jeepers, I can't say that. Shouted the missus a a hair removal procedure. 
Can we say that, Chris? Like, you can say bikini wax, can't you? But it's more than that. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it's more than that. Um, we have 600 metres. Oh, Jamie, this is down in the Wanaka swim. 600 metres or a 1.2 or a 2.5 or a 3.8 and 5K and Olympic distance 10K, Jamie, and you don't work Saturdays. Oh, it's a Saturday. Oh, I could take the Friday off and scoot down to Wanaka, couldn't I? I could stay with my mate Ben Herring. I think he still lives in Wanaka. I haven't seen him for a couple of years, actually, Jamie. Look, I might. Sam, good host, I'll produce. It's done. Done deal. We're booking the tickets tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Treetop Adventures is out by Woodhill past Murawai. There we go. Thank you, Chris. Staff, as a part of my granddaughter's presence, I bought them these orb things that always come up on Facebook. They got delivered last week, so I hid them, but I thought, gee, I hope they work. So I got one out and charged it up, and well, an hour later, and man, it was fun. They hover, and you throw them, and they come back to you. So much fun. Uh, they're between a tennis ball and a softball in size, and I can't wait to watch the girls with them from Mark. I've seen that ad on Facebook as well, and I thought, that's trickery. They won't work. They like these orbs, and you throw them, and they don't hit anything, but then they return to you, straight back to you. How does it work? It must have a homing device on your person or something like that. I'm not quite sure how they work, but Mark's got some. What the? Have we jumped into 2030? What is this? It's an AI ball. Oh, that is actually the coolest thing ever. Uh, How much are they? I shall have a look. They're not too expensive. Okay. Uh, And last one, just for now, Staffy Treetops is in the Riverhead Forest next to the Mountain Bike Park. Great spot for giving young kids confidence. Cheers, JD. I like the sound of this place. I like it a lot. We have to escape because right after this break, we're going to have Ant Neetle, a first-time half-iron man. No one knew he was training for it. He went down, competed, and finished. I want to hear how I got on. We are getting a lot of text messages in on the best Chrissy presents uh, you've ever received or good ideas for this year as well. Remembering the best text we get will... Ah, potentially get a 12-pack of Castle's uh, lager. Uh, we are joining now, just a great man. Um, I haven't spoken to him for a long time, and it's good to have him on the show who's just completed and competed in the half Iron Man in Taupo. The great man, Ant Neetle. Uh, g'day, horse. Hey, mate. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, it's great to hear you. Uh, your voice obviously tickling my eardrums, but, yeah, great to have be on your show, mate. Mate, I couldn't believe, well, I can't believe, because you, you keep doing things that surprise us all. Uh, seeing, <laughs> seeing that you'd done the Half Iron Man in Taupo, when when did you decide and why did you decide to take this as a, a challenge? Uh, mate, you know, you know my history. I sort of, I, I thrive on really putting myself in the hurt locker and doing stuff that I probably can't do. Um You've seen my, my carcass. It's a hideous snack. I look like one of those beanbags with legs. Um, so, I don't know, probably about five months ago, um, I've always wanted to tick the box, and I was out having a couple of grogs with mates, and I was like, oh, I'll just sign up. And um, you, you know John O'Malley, who used to be at the TAB when we were there. He was actually the sponsorship manager of, of the Ironman. And I just uh, I entered his emails, and I said, hey, man, can you give me a ticket? So he actually helped me out. Um, which um, which helps a little bit because it is quite expensive to get the whole set up. Um, and then I just, yeah, just, just trained quietly. I mean, I kept it real quiet. Um, a lot of it was just to teach myself structure. Uh, you know, I don't have much structure in my life. Uh, and also, like, discipline. I'm very ill-disciplined. And, I oh, mate, I just woke up 5 o'clock 
most days and put myself on the headlock and just wanted to test myself. So, yeah, it's, it was no, it's a great challenge. Glad it's over. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a hell of a slog, and you definitely definitely teach yourself a lot about your top two inches. What did, what did you while you were actually competing and you're jumping and do it? I mean, it's a long swim for a guy that hasn't swum much, and and, <laughs> and you're climbing out of the lake. What are you thinking? Mate, it was pretty funny. Like, I when I say I trained for five months, I was like, that's with in between a job. It's long days. Um, you know, you, I'm a social animal, so I, I love shaking hands and having beers. So none of that really stopped. Um, a part of the training, I didn't actually, I didn't do any of the transition training, so I didn't know what it was like to go from a swim to a bike to a run. To none of that. I just put myself in the pressure cooker, and I was like, okay, sweet, I'm gonna teach myself how to swim two k's, and just. I'm going to teach myself how to run 21Ks. I'm going to teach myself how to run 90K, uh, ride 90Ks. Um, so the actual day came. I'd never put on my wetsuit yet, and I hadn't swam in a lake. I'd only done pool swims. Um, and then I think that's where it was really hard was all the transition stuff. So dropped the ball a couple of times. But, yeah, it's just, I think you just grit your teeth and get through it. You know you're going to do it. But it's just and it depends what time. Yeah, so did you have a time in mind or you were just like, I just got to pace myself to get to the finish line? Yeah, I sort of wanted, like, I didn't want to put a, a time on it. But like, I wanted like under six and a half hours. Um, under six hours would have been great. I knew that like, my running is my strong point, but that actually ended up being my, my case. Hell, I got the worst cramp um, for 21Ks. I literally thought I might have to give up. It was pretty brutal. Um, but that's just lack of training from the transitions, you know, like, Mm. Going from a three and a half hour bike, which is very hilly, to 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 a run, um, and then probably not fueling up properly either, um, and it didn't help that I was on, on the gas three days this week. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, yeah, I'm a different kind of athlete, one that's probably not meant to be on the paddock. So tell me, apart from obviously getting fitter and and the other things you've talked about, what's what's the main sort of life benefit you think you've taken out of the last five months? Just disciplined staff. Um, I like, if I don't have like a goal to aim to, I can I can get, I can sort of lose track of life, you know, I just go and do my own thing and I guess um, it'll be like most most sportsmen can resonate when I was playing cricket when I was younger, like that's that's all you know, you know, Saturdays and Sundays is, is your graft and your training during the week and you've got a bit of structure and you've got like a goal to aim towards and if once I stop playing sport, you sort of you can lose yourself, and I think I just wanted to get that back. Um, working at Red Bull, I guess as well. You know, you, you you're surrounded by pretty inspiring athletes and, and people who are so good at their craft that I was like, oh mate, like maybe I should tap into something that um, that I haven't done before. And those guys are huge inspirations. You know, like Brandon Curry was there, like rooting for me at the end, and that's pretty cool to see that. But yeah, I guess mate, you you see what's going around. Uh, us and, and life at the moment and life is short um, you know that as well so if you can box tick things and, and do things that you just want to achieve or give it a crack it, it genuinely does change your outlook on life and, and helps you out a lot
So do you think you'll – I know you, you you're, you've actually bang on. I love the honesty about yourself that you do lack structure. You get a bit loose and um, give yourself an uppercut every Monday and then you say never again staff <laughs> and then the next Monday say never again staff. But do, it must be really good for someone like you um, to actually do tick. That's a massive box you've ticked. Yeah, it is. It is, mate. And, like, yeah, I think, I think that's what's – that's what I sort of love. I love. It's not proving a point to anyone else. It's proving a point to yourself. Um, and yeah, like mate, I live a great life. I'm hand on heart. If I cut it tomorrow, I'm, I'm a pretty pretty happy bloke because I've done a lot of things, you know. And um, and yeah, I think I'm pretty proud of myself, mate. Um, I, I think it's a, it came as a lot of a big surprise to people. A lot of people didn't actually know it was been. Um, so like that's why you would have seen like when I put the post up, a great sense of achievement for myself. But like. Everyone was like, "Holy heck! Is this guy for real?" So like, it's it's cool, um, and highly recommended, mate. Like, I think I always wanted to do the full, and I was actually going to sign up for the full straight out the bat. But <laughs> you, you, it's a lot of sacrifice in between work, you know. So you've got to make sure that you've got the time. Now, looking after the Red Bull athletes, did you did you flick Hayden Wilder message and say, "Mate, you got any tips for me?" No, no, I didn't actually. I didn't know. Brayden Carrier is pretty good. Like where I saw him before the start line, I actually haven't met him in person, only over, over Zoom calls. And he was having a good laugh. And I was walking around with a Red Bull actually in the morning, thinking that it was going to give me the energy to get through the race. So <laughs> I was trying to live and breathe what an athlete would be like. But um, no, actually, I'm catching up with Hayden this this week. This weekend, we're actually filming a documentary with him before Paris next year. So um, I was sure to get in his ear and and. It's a bit late for the tips, you know, but he, he hopefully have a beer with him because he's a great man. So seeing what this, um, setting the goal and achieving the goal, how important to set another goal for yourself? Uh, massively, yeah. Uh, there will have to be another goal set. And probably soon as well, there's the full of March, which is um, the way that I'm walking around gingerly at the moment. You know, I feel like Forrest Gump in those, um, in those <laughs> straight legs or in clogs or whatever they're called. Um, but uh, if you do it, like it's like, I feel like I'm, I really know what it's what it will be like. You just have to up the, the ante with the hours. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's very really important stuff. You just got to make sure that you're keeping yourself, you know, ticking boxes. Especially with someone, you know, like I've got a bit of ADHD. I don't really concentrate that well. So it's um, you need focus, or you, you can lose yourself. Right now, finally, you're a man that thinks laterally. That's what I've always appreciated about you. <laughs> We're asking our listeners to help us out with some Christmas gift ideas, something a little bit different, something that the recipient's going to go, "Geez, I don't mind that." We've had a whole lot of people saying a day spa for the missus, a car groom for the. Blood. I'm sure you'll come up with something interesting for me. No, well, I had a bit of a shocker last year for the secret centres for work. But I'd go uh, a bit different, and I, I, I just bought gags, actually. Um, my cans of tuna, uh, a kg and a half of champ um, dog meat roll. Um, yeah, so a, a, few, a few condiments and stuff like that that didn't really go with the overall present. I think I was trying to hero the champ dog meat roll. Uh, went down like a couple of cold sick. Um, but anyway, that's how I like to think outside the box, something that's going to leave an impression but also question like what's wrong with this dude's head um if it's if it's for family advice or anything like that i i this this year actually i was, I was going to see my parents overseas maybe for like a wee holiday it's been quite a tough couple of years so something to recuperate you know they're getting on now as well um 
And then, yeah, just the sister, just maybe an IOU. She owes me a lot of money, so I hope to get that back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mind that. Ed. Hey, listen, um, bottom of my heart, mate, I was so proud to see that you, you've done that. You did it by stealth, and you did it for you, and you didn't do it for yeah. notoriety or anything. And uh, I can hear in your voice that you're, you're justifiably proud of yourself. So well done, mate. No, thanks, Steph. Yeah, appreciate it, mate. And I'll, I'll, let, to know, I'll let you know next time I do something weird. I'm yeah. um, pretty keen to go scale a mountain or something like that. So, um, but I'll keep you in the loop, horse. Cheers, mate. Go well. Cheers, brother. Go well. See, mate, there he is, Ant Neetle, uh, one of the three uh, head, heart, and balls. Uh, Co hosts uh, with me at the TRB back in the day. How, how cool is that to set yourself a goal? something like that, and um, thinking that running was going to be your strong point and it ended up being the one that undid him. Training and transition, I never really thought of that. So he'd train, swim a day, bike a day, run a day, I suppose, but he'd never done the transition and how that can um, can mess with you. Right, I've got a lot of good uh, Christmas present advice yet to come, so let's take our last break before the news and we'll get through some of them after this. A text from Charlie saying, kudos to Ant. Not many normal-sized people could hack the training, let alone the whole course in five months. A little transition tip for the part-time athlete. Anytime you're training the bike, whatever distance, when you're finished, just stick your runners on and jog a K or two, depending how you feel. That's not a bad idea, something that he hadn't sort of thought of, I guess. Um, This year, this is from Mark, this year, Christmas present ideas, I bought... A few boys in my family, Cain and Abel, carbon steel knives. I like that. Mum, a Dyson air wrap. The missus says it's amazing. I don't know what a Dyson air wrap is. Dyson air wrap. Don't know what that is. And for me, I got a spit roast so we can grab a lamb from the paddock and crank that up on Christmas Day. Welcome whenever, Steph and Sam. Only a stone's throw away from Pete Place at Lawnville. Oh, Pete's place in Lawnville. Stone's throw. I like the sound of that. Uh, Staff, um, again, I have a Christmas gift for the Blues supporters. It could be a very large wishing well where they could all throw in their hard-earned cash and pray for Blues to make the playoffs, although that could be a big wish. Graham from Melbourne. (laughs) I I got a California sandbags A California sandbag set last year for Christmas. Best present I ever got. Hours of fun and exciting game. That's from John. A California sandbag set. Is that like cornhole? I wonder if that's like cornhole. Staffy, your idea of an Auckland Blues jersey, is that just the gift of punishment? (laughs) Guess who, Mikey? Staffy, best present I got was 41 years ago and it was a slot car set. Thought it was just the best. Great memory. I usually shoot a deer and get it processed into salami, sausages and meat patties and divvy it up between them. Brian, great idea. I always remember my slot car set as well when I was about 10 or 11. Best present ever, the old slot car sets. Uh, Christmas present, think I'll get the wife a season's double pass to watch the Taranaki Bulls defend the rugby title. She's not a rugby fan, but I'm sure she'll love it. Craig from Taranaki, I like that too. Here's the news. Up so early, feel so bright. I didn't get much sleep last night. A freight train rattled through my head. Whistleblowing love is dead. Fear and doubt 
Welcome back up. Uh, coming in up in about 10 minutes, Mealy Kerr, who skipped the White Ferns to a win in the weekend. Well, it was Friday, wasn't it? Over uh, Pakistan, which was uh, very much overdue. So we will catch up with. She got lots of runs, she got lots of wickets. Um, had a great match. Fantastic cricketer. Um, Staffy, you'd have to wonder why the New Zealand Sevens changed their head coach eight months before the pinnacle of Sevens at the Olympics. Another blunder by NZ Rugby. Well, they sort of had to. It was forced on them. Clark Laidlaw stepped away because he's the head coach. Uh, well, he's coaching the Hurricanes now because Jason Holland is now part of the All Blacks. So all of that succession stuff. So Clark Laidlaw, who was a very successful coach of the men's seven side, but geez, they, they didn't look too flash, did they, in the weekend at uh, Cape Town? Um, and the All Blacks sevens, the seven sisters, the women's team. Um, I tell you what, Australia look a cut above the rest of the teams at the moment. But I would, um, I would say I think we're seeing how important Sarah Hidney is to the Blackfern sevens setup, uh, missing her leadership and her very, um, what could we say, not aggressive. The physical presence on the field is so important when you lose one of your key players. Um, but they were, yeah, they they yet to pick up a win this year as well, a series win, a tournament win. Um, but I'm more fearing for the men's side of it. So I, I know what you're saying, but it was sort of a changed, a change that was forced on them. Afternoon, Staffy. I just bought my dad twelve cans of peaches. <laughs> For Christmas, it's a secret Santa gift. Bit of a laugh. He eats them on his wheat bix every morning. Cheers, mate, Anthony and Rotorua. I think I've told you before. Every Christmas, I used to get a can of Watty's tomato sauce with my name on it, and no one was allowed to touch it for Friday night fish and chips because Mum used to make our own sauce. And sorry, Mum, but I thought it was hideous. I just couldn't do it. Skins in your sauce, no thanks. So Watty's big, a big, a big, big tin. What would that be? Half a litre tin of Watty's tomato sauce. Uh, <laughs> Ken has texted and said, Staff, I'll send Graham and Mikey a signed jersey from the 2024 Blues Champions of Super 24. I might even throw some socks in there and some tissues. Cheers, Ken. How are the Crusaders going to go without Razor Robertson? That's an interesting take, isn't it? That's, that's an interesting take. Right, it's a little bit earlier than normal, um, but we'll get, we've decided to do it now because the rest of the show is, is semi-full. So we're going to revisit Show Me The Money. Show you the money. Not, not so you. Show me the money. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jared. Show me the money. Jared, you better yell. Show me the money. Now, our caller, Craig from Taranaki, he got through. He got through on the lucky... Spin of the wheel. Um, so the caller, myself, and we had Louis, young Louis, in in the studio or in the producers booth with us. So it was a four leg multi, Joey. Um, only three of them have been decided. So let's do the three that have been decided. 
Sure, sure. So we, we, start, we started off on a bad foot, unfortunately. I, I would like to say, Steffi, I've been with you for a month, but we've had, this is only the second one we've done together for a number of circums, uh, reasons. Mm. And the first one, oh my god, what a, what a show me the money. What, one like $800 or someone? Yes, 800 bucks. yeah. Oh, 850 Yeah, we're the best. And then uh, this one comes around, <laughs> and uh, we say to Louis two minutes before we go on air, young Louis, First day at the radio station. Louis, will you give us your um, bet for show me the money? He chooses like a dollar ten bet in the basketball. He says the Mavs are going to beat the, beat the Jazz. About to kick off in 20 minutes. I say, okay, Louis. And as I go to the TAB, somehow I click on a game that's happening just after. Also very low odds, but I clicked on uh, Denver Nuggets to beat the <laughs> LA uh, Clippers. Head to head. Let's see how that one went down. The transition. Layup is good. And the Clippers back within three after trailing by 15. Clippers could tie on this possession. Harden thought about it. Now Brown. The three goes down to tie it up at 46 for the rookie, Kobe Brown. Three minutes gone by in the fourth. George again. Five threes now for Paul George. In the first quarter, they've made three three-pointers in 17 tries since. Jokic blocked. Zilbots out of bounds. Denver ball with just a second. Choke City. <laughs> Choke City. So the wrong one, and it lost. And it lost, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking, this happens on Thursday, and I think, they're going to kill me. If And I was thinking, if, if the other three come through, then I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to buy... Uh, someone, everyone, everyone is. You'd have to pay Craig I'd pay nine Craig, grand. Nine, well, I'd give him a Christmas gift. I'd give him a <laughs> bottle of champagne or something. Um, and then come Saturday, Saturday rolls around. Randwick, race seven. Is it Cephas? Cephas? Cephas. 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 Now, Cephas, like, it was top four, four dollars, paying top four. You to get top four. Jumps out of the gates and, well. And never quite recovered. Lock Eagle draws level with Attractable and Lock Eagle ran down Attractable. Lions Roar third, followed by Kerwin's Lane. Uh, new Magnus, Cepheus well back with Valana and Surf Dancer was among the tailenders. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, second, uh, se- second to last. Second to last. It was actually fourth to last. He called it second to last, but it was fourth to last. But it was wide the whole way. Drew 16 or something like that. Couldn't get in. Didn't go forward. Didn't go back. I know it sounds like a bunch of excuses. Not good enough. Not good enough at all. I thought it was appalling. Really. But, it, but it was a big sigh of relief for you, Joey. Sure. And then I thought, great, my job saved. But then I was thinking, third leg, this one I've chosen. So I was thinking, all right, come on, Jags, beat the rounds. Flacco throws, open man, could go. David Bell, touchdown. And the Browns get it done. Brown said, no, we're going to beat you with a backup quarterback. <laughs> so three of the four legs have lost. There's still one going. Um, a few players to make the top. Uh, Craig picked a few players to make the top three in the latest Top DP. 20. Dot shows. Yeah, three, three players, players to make, to make the, top the top 20. 20. Yeah, so yeah, he yeah. sent this text through. Reviewing Show Me The Money, last round of the golf player has been suspended early in the last round. I needed three golfers in the top 20. Currently, they're sitting fourth, eighth, and Lombard is 40th. He needs... Uh, he needs four birdies to get in the top 20. Lombard was a bit slow out of the starting blocks. A uh, bit like that racehorse, Staffy, still running at Randwick. Great to get through, though. Um, <clears throat> and have a crack. Cheers from Craig in Taranaki. So um, <clears throat> I actually had a $10 bet on Craig's tip, um, so I hope he gets those three or four birdies he needs. Right, uh, we have to take a break. And on the other side of this, Merely Kerr out of the White Ferns.
We are joined now by a very recent skipper of the White Ferns, actually, having completed a six-run uh, victory over Pakistan, a much-needed win, actually. Uh, Duckworth Lewis uh, played for us as well, which is just fantastic. Uh, Mealy Kurt joins us now. Welcome in, Mealy. Oh, I haven't quite got you. I think I've got you now. Oh. Yep, got you now. Got you now. Hello. Yes, now Queenstown. Uh, heck of a workspace, actually, just uh, visually. It's magnificent. Um, but you won the toss. You took three for 11 off four, and you got 35 runs off 31. Pretty satisfying day at work for you. <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably more pleasing to get the win um, after the first two T20s. But, um, yeah, it was nice. Uh, get out there. I love playing in Queenstown, as you said. It's a nice workplace, um, but it's always a really good ground here. And um, yeah, unfortunately, the weather wasn't too great. But obviously, bowling first in T20 cricket um, when there's rain around gives you a bit of an advantage with the DLS method. How much no- how much more noise is going on in your head when you've got the responsibility of captaincy? Like you do both disciplines, batting and bowling, but now you've got decision-making to go with as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot more thinking going on, you know, once you're, and you're batting and bowling and you're in the field, you're kind of just concentrating on that. But I guess in between that, it's working out bowling options and, and fields and whatnot and Working with the bowlers, but it's something I really enjoyed. I got the opportunity with the Blaze to captain, so at least it wasn't um, something completely new. But yeah, it's, it's a lot more hard work than what people probably think. But I, I did really enjoy it too. And I've always thought if you're a captain and you're a bowler, um, the decision when to bowl yourself. Like, you can, you can take the prime time that you would like to pick, but you maybe not get chucked the ball by a different captain. How much how much extra pressure in bowling options is there? Yeah, I mean, when you're a bowler yourself, you kind of, um, you want to help your teammates um, set them up to be successful, but then also find the right time for yourself because that's ultimately going to help the team. But, I guess that's kind of the thought process that goes in your head and you do a bit of planning beforehand and had Susie Bates out there who um, has captained a lot of games for New Zealand. So it's nice to be able to lean on her experience. But I think you could say I was a little bit selfish as I bought all my four down wins and made everyone else <laughs> at least have one over into it. So um, it was quite nice actually. To, to just walk in downwind. <laughs> I thought spinners were supposed to get the headwind. Nah, T20 cricket, the game's changed. Pacey's got to run in and your spinner's got to bolt downwind, otherwise they just get bombed for six. The, oh. game's, the game's changed now. The, the Pacey's need to you know, do the hard yards. Now, was it particularly cold down there? Because a lot of catches went down both sides and I'm thinking cold hands stiff fingers um, can you put your finger on why so many catches were grasped uh, I guess sometimes it becomes contagious but I think the, probably the hardest part was the wind that was real it was so windy and it was quite swirly so it was a, it was like a Wellington day um, where the ball was swirling around so that might have had a little bit of an impact but yeah there were um, catches that probably, you know, you'd like to take on another day. But, yeah, I dropped the first one of the day, so maybe I set, I set the tone there and um, the rest followed. Now, when you're bowling, I remember I, I interviewed a, a seam bowler years ago. I can't even remember who it was, but he always said 
the fifth ball of his over was the most important because he'd set something up for the first four balls and then throw the sucker ball or a reverse swinger or a slow ball or something, ball five. When you're coming into bowling, your first ball, do you have a plan for all six or does your plan change every single ball? Um, it changes, I think, in terms of the game and how the over's been played and built up, you get a feel when you're out there. Um, so it does come a little bit off feel. If you know you've had a good over, you want to try to get out of it and set the bowler up for the next over and bowl in a partnership. Um, but you're always also trying to take wickets too. So it's not saying that the fifth is the most important and the others don't matter, but um, there is definitely the... Um, chat I guess with that the last two balls of your over you get out of that and then you start the new one fresh and that's how you can build some pressure um, so that does become important I think especially in T20 cricket You play a, a lot of white ball cricket, very little red ball cricket so I've often asked the guys how, how hard it is to go from test to T20 for example but the question for you I wanted to know is you've played Big Bash, you play domestic New Zealand, you play international New Zealand you play overseas, you play here What's the, is, is conditions maybe the biggest adjustment you have to make to? Um, I would say conditions are probably a little bit when you're probably more going to the subcontinent um, but recently have come off being I guess in Australia and South Africa where it's probably a little bit more similar to home um, I think conditions is just doing it, it's probably doing your scouting of your oppo- opponents and knowing your game plan and how you want to play each player and, and the team you're about to play is probably the key and I guess going from T20s into 50 overs, it's, again it's still Still white ball cricket, but it's doing everything for longer, and it's probably with the bat I've got a bit more time um, and can probably play a little bit lower risk and keep the ball on the ground for longer. How does your bowling approach change between 20 and 50 overs? I like to keep it pretty simple and just kind of mark myself off a good ball to good ball. But, um, again, batters probably aren't coming as hard at you, so... It's just about building pressure and it's probably more a different with field sets. You might have your inner ring field squeezing a bit more, trying to create more dot ball pressure um, through the middle phase of the game and maybe bowling a little bit more for slip and play or a fielder up at times. Um, whereas you see in T20 cricket, sometimes spinners lose their mid-wicket quickly um, because one's a win, whereas in 50-over cricket, we might keep that in a little bit more. So it's probably more of a change in terms of field sets. Mm. Speaking of fielding, like when you're captain, you can field wherever you want. Did your, I didn't take notice actually, but did your uh, position on the field when you're fielding, not bowling, but when you're fielding, did it change now that you were captain? Did you get to choose where you went? Uh, I'm actually I'm actually fortunate enough in that I, um, even when I'm not captain, I often get a field where I like to field. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I guess it was a little bit different. I tried to do a little bit more. Um, I guess at mid-on and mid-off so I could talk to the bowlers, but otherwise it was pretty similar as to where I'd normally field. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I have to ask the compulsory Queenstown question. Uh, have you been to Fergburger yet? <laughs> I haven't been to Fergburger yet, but every day I drive past it, even at about 9 in the morning, it looks like the queue is an hour long. Isn't it and ridiculous? It's like all day. Yeah. yeah. And just the little door, the yeah. little the little shop next door. There's the Ferg Bakery. Their donuts are off the hook. Oh, yeah. Well, I reckon I think Maddie Green's a few donuts. So 
um, might you should you should put that on live because um, the nutritionist should know that. <laughs> she should know that. So what what does today look like for the team? Uh, we've just finished training, so um, had gym this morning. Nets uh, after that, and then about twenty minutes, just a bit of like top up fielding, get what you need, and then we're done for the day. Um, although we do have um, a few meetings later on today, just a, a team meeting tonight and a re- review of the last game. So um, busyish day, but but also pretty relaxed to be fresh for tomorrow. And, and finally, Mealy, um, you, you took a break away from the game a little while ago just to reset yourself uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, the whole lot. And um, you've come back. You look like a happy cricketer now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I absolutely love the game and I love cricket and I love the teammates I get to play with. That's the best part is the the people and the friendships you make. Um, But yeah, obviously that time was really important for me. I needed that time to heal just like an injury and um, to be back now and enjoying cricket, which I always was, but more importantly to be enjoying life um, is probably the best thing. So I'm really happy and I'm looking forward to getting out there tomorrow with the group. Well, the good thing is your performance is going great, Gunter. I was mentioning out in the office today to the other producers, we had you on the show today, and one of our senior producers said, Mealy Kerr would be pound for pound in our top three cricketers, men and women, in New Zealand at the moment. So happy mind, good cricket. It all seems to fall into place, eh? Yeah, it definitely does relate. I think the happier you are, the more you're going to enjoy it, the more you're going to be free, and I mean, the less you ride, the highs and lows of the game, but also life, so... Yeah, that's high praise from your from your team at SNZ, but um, no, I'm definitely enjoying it, and it's even more enjoyable enjoyable when you're in Queenstown playing cricket too. There you go, eating Ferg uh, donuts <laughs> if you can steal one yeah. off Maddie. That is good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, she awesome. bought the whole shop. <laughs> <laughs> she should get shares in it. Hey, awesome to chat with you, Mealy. Well done on that win, and we're looking forward to uh, the rest of the series, which is kicking off tomorrow. Well done. Yes, thank you. Right, let's boat safely this summer. Very, very important and a big, important and very valuable cog here in New Zealand is the Coast Guard. Uh, Saving lives at sea is their strap line. We are joined now by Rob McCourt. He is the Head of Operations for Coast Guard New Zealand. Welcome in, Rob. Busy time of year for you guys. Yeah, sure, Mark. Yeah, it sure is. Um, coming into the summer season is where we see uh, probably a third, um, sometimes up to forty percent of all our callouts for the entire year, just over these next couple of months. What's the main reasons for callouts, and are they avoidable? Yeah, look, um, it, you don't want to pin too much fault on people. I mm. uh, would much rather hear from people when you know when they need help, but. Um, Probably about 85% of all of our activations are uh, from non, what we call non-urgent tasks. So they are typically things like, I've run out of gas, um, I can't restart my engine, um, I've, I've wrapped my anchor cable. You know, the sort of, um, we call it non-urgent, but that's if we can get there in time. If we'd left it long enough, it would probably become quite urgent. But yeah, most of our, most of our jobs are those sorts of things. And a lot of those are pretty preventable with some good maintenance and good housekeeping and just good preps before you head out. Yeah, because I'd imagine a lot of boats, um, 
maybe just go out for the for the two months of summer and then they sit in a driveway, they sit in a marina. What What's some of the key things that should be done before you head out for your first one for a while? Yeah, look, that's definitely a theme is um, people putting their boats to bed for the winter um, and then getting them back out ready for summer. And, you know, there's a few really basic tips you can do. If, you've, if you are very seasonal like that, um, which is great, that's cool, but there are things like how long has your fuel been sitting in the tank and has it started to separate? Mm. Um, has it started to condensate and there's a bit of water in there which will overload your fuel filters and you'll pretty soon come a cropper. Um, have you checked the electrolyte levels in your batteries? Um, are your batteries charging properly? What's the state of your safety gear, your flares, um, your life jackets? You know, does your engine actually start and run, giving it a good run up in the front yard before you go? Those are some of the really basic things that you can do. And along with that, um, making sure that your, all your communications equipment works and frankly that you've given yourself a bit of a refresher too because if you're only heading out you know, two, three, four weeks in a year, it's pretty easy to get a bit rusty in the skill set. So give yourself a little bit of a refresh while you're at it. Life jacket seems like an absolute no-brainer, but I go out fishing reasonably often with a mate of mine, just in a little tinny uh, down off the west coast at the bottom of the North Island, and the number of boats that venture out and there's no one wearing life jackets still amazes me. They're the seat belts in boats, aren't they? Yeah, look, they really are. Um, that's our big push for this summer is wearing life jackets. Um, we've got over 2 million Kiwis who... Um, talk about how they recreate on watercraft. They, they do their recreation activities on watercraft. So that's a huge portion of our population. But more than half of them aren't routinely wearing life jackets. Forty-something um, percent of them talk about um, how they don't want to wear a life jacket because they just don't think about the prospect of ending up in the water or they're uncomfortable or too expensive. And it's really just not a valid excuse anymore, if, if we can be honest. You know, life, modern life jackets are comfortable, they're relatively cheap. We've got our old for new campaign hitting 59 spots around the country over the summer period where you can trade in your old crusty life jackets and upgrade to a good inflatable one for a really discounted price. Um, that, that's our big thing at the moment. Uh, water deaths account for, they are the most deadly recreational activity in this country. Wow. And boating activity accounts for 31% of those deaths. Of those deaths, over two-thirds weren't wearing life jackets. So it's, it's my volunteers who are pulling these bodies out of the water time and time again, not with life jackets on. For us, a life jacket, it's, it, it's not necessarily going to save you in every circumstance, but what it buys you is time. It buys you time for us to find you and to pull you out of the water, and that is priceless. I've been out fishing a couple of times with a guy who's got a boat um, out, like a Huffman Bay or something like that, and we go out, and every single time he really takes his responsibility as skipper very seriously, and I, he's quite a jokey, jovial bloke in, in our day-to-day lives, but he's very serious. You must put your seatbelts on. He radios into the Coast Guard, says how long he'll be out, um, and I was like, I was quite impressed about how responsible he was as our skipper, and he always tests his radio and all that sort of thing. It's, it's those things that are quite key. Oh, look, absolutely, and look, I applaud. I applaud the behaviour. Um, it's really easy as well to just assume that the person whose boat it is or the you know the skipper of the boat knows what they're doing as well Mm. and so um 
I think there's just as much emphasis on if you're going out as a passenger or, or you're just you're being taken out by your mate fishing to ask the question, hey, have we logged a trip report with Coast Guard? Hey, do you want me to check the marine weather while we're heading before we head out or on the way out? Hey, do you want me to have a look at the flares? Hey, what do we do if um, something happens? You know, be a um, uh, be evaluating passenger as well, um, because that will hold us who are masters or, or who are skippers accountable as well, and we have to up our game. But look, the, there's some key stuff that you've just mentioned in there, Staffy, and you know, one of them is letting Coast Guard know you're heading out. Log a trip report. You can do it on the radio. You can download our app for free. You can do it on there. Um, that'll give you the marine weather as well and the tides, or you can call us on Star 500. We really want to know that you're out there because that helps us know if you need help. Yeah, so Brendan, he does that. He radios through to Coast Guard, gives the name of his boat, where we're heading, how many's on board, expected time. What happens on the other side? What do you guys do with that information? Yeah, so um, for Greater, Greater Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, um, we have an operations centre at the Auckland Marine Rescue Centre um, by the Halliport down on the waterfront there. And that covers um, the vast majority of the northern region, so from Waikato North, and it covers the National Watch um, when, when other radio rooms around the country sort of close down. Apart from that, we've got a second operations centre in Mount Maunganui, and we've got 13 other radio watch locations where units organically run their own radio room. Um, so when you log a trip report, it goes into a common trip reporting platform. So it doesn't matter which operator is on in any part of the country, your trip report can be seen. And so what that means is that we have a greater idea of where you are, where you are going. So if you're overdue, um, somebody reports that, hey, they were talking to you and, and something happened, or if we get a, a beacon activation, we can really quickly start to associate that with who you are, how many people you had, where you were going, what sort of supplies, whether, how, how worried we should be, and how quickly we should activate a response. So that's really the information for it. If we don't know you're out there, we, we don't know that you need help. For the hobbyists, um, with their little boats, and, their, and um, it's awesome fun out on the water, um, a few people are tripped up by the giveaway rule. Can you sort of give us a, <laughs> a, a basic giveaway rule because it's different to cars? Yeah. <laughs> Look, it is, and, and here's, the, here's the rub. It's different in different harbours because there are different bylaws. Um, and there's a lot of people who believe there's this undeniable right that sail that you have to give way to sail, and that's not necessarily always true. You basically give way to a vessel on your starboard side, on your right hand side, and you should slow down or alter course so that you avoid crossing ahead of the other vessel. Mm. That's the basic basic rule. Um, what's really worthwhile, though, is actually looking at the area you're going to be boating in. Auckland has some very particular bylaws about um, if there are vessels coming in and out of the harbour over a certain tonnage, you have to stay away from them, no matter whether you've got right away or not, no matter whether you've got sail or not. Um, and the same with Tauranga, the same with Littleton. So lots of different ports, and some of the rivers and lakes as well, have really specific rules about which side of the channel or which side of the river you should navigate. Um, and sometimes it's not quite what we expect. So there are some very general safety rules which are you give way to your starboard side, but it's always worth just looking at where you're going and just have a quick read-up of what any specific rules and any exclusion areas, no-take areas, no fishing zones, it's all worth really looking into because the last thing you want is for the harbour masters who will be on patrol over summer 
to be issuing you an infringement notice because you've got your fishing hooks out in the wrong spot. Mm. And I, I don't think it's illegal to have a boat without a a sea radio, but at the very least you should take a, a charged up phone with you. Yeah, we, we recommend having two forms of waterproof communication. Um, and you may think, oh, that's okay, I've got two phones. Well, they both have their same pros and cons, right? <laughs> if, I'm in a, if I'm in a cell phone dead spot, it's still a cell phone dead spot, no matter if I've got two other things. Um, so having a marine VHF radio, even if it's a handheld, is better than not having a radio. Um, you can pick up handheld VHFs pretty cheap from um, any of the major suppliers. And then having a phone as well, um, because both of those have real um, advantages and disadvantages, and they both should complement each other well. But if you're going to take a cell phone, it doesn't matter how waterproof the manufacturer says it is, it won't be, um, because that's Murphy's Law. So put it in a waterproof bag and make sure that you've tested these things before you go out. Mm. If it's an emergency, you can grab your VHF and you use it, and you call your Mayday call, and somebody will answer it. Um, around the country, whether that's Coast Guard or whether it's the um, Maritime Operations Centre down in Wellington, somebody will be able to get to you. But each of those things have their pros and cons, so we recommend taking both. And again, it's a bit like the life jackets, uh, drinking and boating. Now, a lot of us are on holiday, we've got beautiful weather, we've got our sunscreen on and our hats and our sunnies, we've got the music on the boat, um, and we get a bit thirsty. Is it, is it a bit like a night out in the town on a Friday night, you've got to have a designated driver? What, what, what's your advice around booze on board? Yeah, look, uh, it's summer, right? And, and we all like to sit down and have a beer while we've got a line out and fishing or, or whatever. But, you know, the master, the person who's driving, the person who's responsible should really be keeping off the tins. Yeah. That's my recommendation. Yeah. And it's, there, are, um, there are different bylaws, again, in different locations about the carriage and opening and consumption of alcohol for people on board vessels, so that's definitely something to check out for people. Um, you know, and we want boaties to have a good time, right? We're in this because we're boaties too. So we want people to have a good time. Um, the real downside of alcohol is the decision-making, and things change so rapidly on the water with marine weather, with the circumstances. It only takes a very, slip of judge, a very small slip of judgment to have a really big, lasting consequence, mm. and... You just don't want that on your conscience. Um, I go out with my mates, and whoever's whoever's on the throttle doesn't touch the bottle. It's as simple as that. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on the throttle, don't touch the bottle. Oh, but then they'll get yeah. a can instead, won't they? There, they'll get a can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, there's always a... There's always workarounds, but you get the point. <laughs> yeah, I do. Hey, Rob, um, Rob McCourt, Head of Ops with Coast Guard. You do a very, very valuable job. Coastguard.nz, they've got courses. You can go and volunteer. You can become a member. Get onto the website before you go boating this summer, folks, and you, you might learn something. I'm pretty sure we've learned something in the last 10 minutes or so. Really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy your summer as well, Rob. Yeah, thank you, mate. And look, just a call out to all the good boaties out there who are doing the good behaviours and and keeping it real and keeping us unemployed. Thank you so much. Let's keep it going throughout summer. Top man. Enjoy your Christmas, Rob. There is Rob McCourt from Coast Guard. It's coastguard.nz. As I say, they've got courses. Um, just go and have a little look and make sure you check your weather. Make sure you check your weather. Quick break. Welcome back in. Um, I did enjoy that. I do enjoy the odd um, 
non-sporting chats we have on here. The cookie time ladies just walked in with big buckets of cookies, Oh, Joey. those are my cookies. Those are my cookies. I, me and Charlie, um, who works in sales, we bought our cookies together. Last year? No, uh, to, like last week. Oh, she was delivering some. them. Yeah, you have to order them, and then she delivers them about a week and a half later. She's got a cookie time. Cookies are here. Cookies, cookies are here. <laughs> Brad Lewis is excited as well. <laughs> um, you're right, Joe. Mark is a big softie. He didn't have the heart to tell Braden on Friday that his What's Making News was a repeat of the stories we'd heard. Yeah, poor Braden. Did the same stories as you. Tough, tough, tough beats. Yeah, I, did, I didn't tell him on air. I told him after the show, Craig, and he was mortified. Just a young fella. I didn't want to damage him on air, but I just said, mate. Uh, but his retort was Joe hadn't podcasted, it, so he didn't know. Lies. More, more to come, more to come. Energetic, energetic after two o'clock, Joey. We're very excited because the salted caramel cookie time cookie Christmas pails. They're actually big plastic buckets. Well, what did she say? 85 biscuits in each one. Yeah, little, little biscuits, but that's quite a lot. That, that it's was, one mouthful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think you can put two in at the same time. Two biscuits at the same time. I think so. They're not massive. Jesus. I love biscuits. Biscuits is like... There's nothing better. Would you would you like biscuits or lollies more? Like biscuits, chocolate or lollies? What, what are you? Oh, not chocolates. No. Can I throw in another option? Yeah. Licorice. Does that count as a lolly? It's in the lolly aisle in the sure. supermarket. Yeah, I, I say it's a lolly, but you sure licorice. Yeah, I, I love licorice. In fact, in my house, it goes biscuits, l- licorice, then lollies. I think. L- licorice in your house. Love. Oh, no. I uh, <laughs> love love licorice. Yeah, big licorice fan. Yeah. The soft stuff, the soft chewing stuff. Yeah. Oh, like the long like the long ones, like the Oh, okay, the straps. The straps. We like the licorice the straps. The black knight licorice strap. I'm a licorice yeah. connoisseur. Yeah, I like the RJ's one. And that they're in Levin, actually. RJ's licorice. They it's are. made in Levin. Oh. Mm. And they bought out Black Knight. And now RJ's make Black Knight. Oh, I could talk about licorice. Um Staff for Graham from Ken. I hope you're all good, mate. Good banter. Cheers from your friend Ken. There's the family Christmas spirit. And uh, Brenton, I'm very sorry. I need to get into a better a better discipline of reading the text machine while I'm doing interviews. And he asked me to ask our Coast Guard guy about how he feels about licensing the skipper. Yeah, like, anyone can drive a boat, eh? I don't, you don't need a license. And I... Is a little bit nanny state to a. I feel like you should have done some sort of course of competence, not as not as full on as a car license, but just an understanding 
like those giveaway rules, like um, just general things that'll keep people out of trouble. So sorry, Brenton, I didn't, I didn't see that. Still taking texts on your greatest Christmas gifts and the best ideas. Uh, we'll get a twelve pack of castles. Oh, I love having castles on board. Giving, giving beers away. You have to drink responsibly, and you have to be R eighteen. You have to be eighteen at least. So uh, you can text those through on double eight double three. But something we're going to do now, which we don't do very often, but I I didn't listen to it at the time. I listened to it yesterday. So Mick Guerin and Louis Herman Watt on. Not the good oil, the, the other mail one. run. The mail run. The mail run. They had John Massara on, who is probably one of the highest regarded people in racing in Australasia. I mentioned at the start of the show that Winston Peters got him in. When Winston Peters was uh, Minister for Racing when I was at the TAB, he got John Massara in, and they really shook the tree. And the uh, famous Massara report was issued with a whole lot of guidelines. And of course, in the last week, it's been announced that Rose Hill Racecourse is going to be sold and redeveloped into housing and all sorts of things. Hasn't got sign-off approval yet from um, various government agencies, etc. But they talked about that. They talked about the health of New Zealand racing and racing in general. So we're going to replay it for you now. If you missed it on Saturday, uh, here is uh, Mick and Louie with John Massara. S-E-N-Z. This is a true pleasure and an honour to welcome into the show now John Massara as we take a good look at the Australasian and international racing scene in 2023 as the year comes to a close. Some very interesting news during the week. John Massara, of course, has had a well his fingerprints over New Zealand racing in the last decade or so. Uh, he's the chairman of the Arrowfield Group, founder and owner of Arrowfield Stud. John, thank you so much for taking a call nice and early on a Saturday morning. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing okay, thank you, and it's a pleasure. It's um, it's a funny old time for racing, isn't it? We've got a, a bit of injection into the New Zealand scene, which I'm sure you would have seen with Entain coming into the market. You're, you're selling race courses in Australia. There's Hong Kong international races this weekend. It's a, a game that never sleeps, does it? No, and it's never been more uh, fluid than it is at the moment. But um, I'm very pleased to see that... Uh, uh, there's some green shoots now in New Zealand, and uh, that your new partner uh, of TAB there uh, is so enthusiastic. Uh, and uh, it being it, it being a sponsor and a partner, and uh, they seem to have great plans jointly to uh, rejuvenate the industry. So that's you know that's a that's a happy thing for me to see. Morning, John. It's Michael Guerin here. Thank you for taking the time, hey, mate. Um, We'll get to, to to that stuff later because obviously you've had such a, a big, um, a lot to do with helping New Zealand racing reshape. But let's talk about Rose Hill. Were you, because you're the best connected man in New South Wales racing, were you surprised by this announcement? And do you think it will actually come to fruition? Do you think it will pass state government? Do you think Rose Hill will be sold? And what do you make of it if it is? Michael, I wish I could answer those questions. Firstly, let me tell you, I was gobsmacked by the announcement. Absolutely so, gobsmacked. So you're telling me that even you didn't know? No, I had not the slightest idea. Now, oh. whether, it's a, whether it's a thought bubble or a reality, no one can say at the moment because there are so many variables, so many variables. First of all, 
All that's happening at the moment from the releases that I've read is that talks will commence with the state government. There's not, nothing to say that they'll end those talks, they'll commence. And so uh, it's sort of unknown how, where that will lead. Secondly, uh, the uh, ATC uh, members at some stage are going to have to give vote on this thing. It, it is the, one of the major... In fact, it's the major asset of the club because if it's worth anything like, you know, has been mooted in the press, uh, even though that, that amount of money that they're talking about might only be received on a very long period, over a very long period. But if it's worth anything like that, it's the single most important asset of uh, the Australian Turf Club. And it's going to need uh, to have shareholder approval, oh, and share, not shareholder approval, uh, um, members' approval. So that's, that's another hurdle that's got to be passed. Then they've got to find alternative racing venues uh, to replace and training venues to replace Rose Hill. Look, there's a myriad of uncertainties in all of this, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not taking it too seriously un, un, until some of these questions have been answered. You know what I mean? Uh, at this stage, John, if you were the boss of the ATC, and I know this is all mythical stuff, but people cherish your opinion, so I'm going to ask it. If these numbers are right and all the chat's right, if they can get $5 billion and they've got to spend a billion rejigging another place and doing all the things you need to do, if that was all right and you could get the members to approve it, is it good business to you and would you do it? Look, if you took that view, you would also sell the Sydney cricket ground mm. and you could sell other key core sporting assets for property redevelopment. I think that Rose Hill is one of the two major uh, racetracks in what is the fourth or fifth biggest jurisdiction in the world, New South Wales. Uh, I, it's something I wouldn't be considering, but obviously uh, the lure of that amount of money, if that amount of money is the sort of money that'll flow, but I can't see how it could uh, except on a very, very long-scale basis, uh, after development, on the sale of properties, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and who knows what investment needs to be made to get to that point. But the answer is, I, I probably it's something I probably would not consider myself. But then I haven't got all the facts at hand. I'm on the outside looking in. Um, and if there was a need for money for, for the ATC. Uh, I'd be more inclined to consider selling a, a, a track which is very well located in the inner west, uh, such as Canterbury, which doesn't get a lot of usage, sort of landlocked, and uh, not a favourite track for anybody. Uh, my, my inclination would be that would be a very useful redevelopment property for you know lo low cost housing, whatever they seek to do. Um, I'd be keeping. Uh, a property like Rose Hill, which has so much tradition and history and there's so much emotion uh, associated with it. And it's, it's a great track. And, uh, and I'd use the money out of the sale of Canterbury, uh, again, if that were to be approved by members, uh, to do what upgrades and uh, whatever reorganisation needs to be done. That's what I would do at face value, but I haven't got all the information. John, the, the point you make around the SCG is it's a very salient one. And we speak so much, and you know this innately, we speak so much in New Zealand about the fabric of racing and where it is in our society at the moment. Something we probably don't think about too often is 
where it is in Australian uh, society, racing that is, and its place. And then you see the the changes that are being made, and, and you, the talks of money and trying to you know um, build sustainability. Well, from your point of view, where is racing in Australia at the moment in the fabric? Is it in a place where you need to start thinking about longevity and safeguarding? It's in an untidy position at the moment, an untidy position in, in Australia because you've got uh, uh, squabbles between the states, uh, New South Wales and the other states. Uh, there are various views as to uh, the innovation races that have been announced, uh, whether they're sucking up too much of the prize money um, and, and whether returns to owners are sufficient through the grassroots. We've got issues here, just like you've got issues in New Zealand, but they're slightly different issues. Uh, Racing is in a fluid state. Um, A lot of uh, tracks, for example, in Melbourne are being considered for sale. You know, people Mm. are talking about Mooney Valley being restructured and Sandown potentially being sold. It's in a very fluid position. Uh, Racing itself is under continually under attack from animal welfare people and we also have people anti-gambling uh, lobbies that are thinking that uh, racing is uh, attracting too much gambling and of course uh, wagering is you know um, is the necessary revenue is it provides the necessary revenue to give some level of sustainability to owners uh, through prize money so, uh, no, we're in a difficult place at the moment and we should charter a very careful road forward. Having said all of that, we mustn't forget that racing's about horses and mm. trainers and jockeys and owners. And the minute we think it's about capital redevelopments and, and, and real estate you know, outcomes, uh, we make those prior important matters secondhand. We turn them into second-rate things. Oh, yes, well, you know, uh, it's too valuable to race on this property. Well, the fact is, it's always going to be valuable. Uh, It won't go away. And it is ideally located uh, in the western suburbs, which is the second most important centre now uh, of people. And it's got a lot of history associated with it, and it works. Well, John... Close to home in Auckland, we could easily sell Ellerslie for a billion dollars and race at Pukekohe. But I can tell you we've raced at Pukekohe for the last two years and people want to go to Ellerslie. The people who live in the city want to go to Ellerslie. So it's a very similar situation to what we're talking about in Australia. Interesting question for you, John, because you understand the pattern and what black type and all those things mean more than anybody else. You own one of the biggest breeding operations in Australasia um, and it's so well done. You've tried to herd the cats, which is Australian states, together and get them to work together, and I think maybe you've had to give up. If, for example, people were saying, let's give New South Wales and your friend Mr Volandis a bone here and let's make the Everest a group one, let's do that, would that sit comfortably with you as a stud master as a bone to try and bring the two states together, or can you not do that because of the conditions of the Everest? Look, I think in the modern pattern, this could be achieved. This could be achieved because the race has, due to the level of prize money, uh, has drawn uh, tremendous fields, uh, arguably uh, the best fields possible, perhaps 
this year Imperatrice wasn't there and that, that, that was a sort of a bit of a downer. But fundamentally, the race has rated uh, at Group 1 level now for several runnings. And the reason, uh, it, it can only be two reasons that it wouldn't get Group 1, is they didn't go through the gate when they're establishing it, which is what you do. You, 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 you go to the pattern and you talk about what you intend to do and what the dates are, and you see there's no clashes, and you usually follow the usual pattern protocols. And then when the race gets to that point uh, of ratings, you then consider it for upgrade, etc. And under those circumstances, it would be a Group 1 today. It can be a Group 1 today. The trouble is uh, New South Wales didn't go through the gate, the normal gate. And the second issue was uh, is that... Um, it's, it's a closed race to some extent because it's dependent on the 12 slots. Only owners of the 12 slots can nominate a horse. Now, uh, however, the way the thing has, has worked is that irrespective of that closed nature of the race, the very best horses generally appear in that race and have cumulatively over the years uh, rated extremely well. So the answer is, I think, uh, that isn't going to be the issue. I think all states would agree that today, re-looking at it, forgetting that, the, you know, it wasn't, uh, they didn't enter, New South Wales didn't enter the project through the gate, and the normal gate for pattern, uh, races ultimately seeking uh, rating for, uh, ultimately seeking group rating, um, it would be acceptable today. I think, I'm sure that would be something that would, that would pass. The difficulty is that I don't think New South Wales, under its current board, has a high opinion of black tie pracing or group standard and the pattern. They, that doesn't seem to be, well, I've heard, you know, I've heard them say over time that, you know, it's not the be all and end all and uh, they take the view that uh, applying more money to those races that they... Uh, establish is the key. Now I'm I'm totally uh, in the opposite camp to that, but uh, uh, so there's a there's a, there's a uh, philosophical different difference that currently exists between the Board of Racing New South Wales and other interstate boards in relation to the sustainability of the pattern uh, and uh, the legitimacy of the pattern. Uh, Etc. 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 John, I um, um, all, all, you know, so that's where we're at, mate. I, I think it's fascinating, and I feel bad that we can't have you on for an hour. I know we can't monopolise <laughs> your time, but we would yeah. love to because this is like tapping into a supercomputer. I want to ask you about New Zealand racing. You were the man who was behind the Masara report. Um, many parts of it have been implemented, and you've said your enthusiasm for the new gambling partner in Entain. What would you like to see implemented that hasn't been implemented yet? Or second part to that question, what would your advice be for New Zealand racing and the people listening to this now as to how to move this machine forward? Um, I made no recommendations as to who the partner should be uh, for for the TAB. I just simply said that that they should partner their commercial activities with a major international group. It could have been TAPCOR in Australia. It could have been one of the other international groups. Uh, Entain, obviously, uh, was chosen, and they seem to have an enormous amount of enthusiasm. 
I didn't know a lot about them until they actually took that position. I have met them on a few occasions uh, since, and there's, uh, they're very enthusiastic about New Zealand and willing to invest uh, strongly into it. So I think you've got uh, an enthusiastic partner, and hopefully uh, that will work. Um, I think there is one gaping issue that hasn't been dealt with, I think, and that's the rationalisation of tracks. Now, it was always yep. going to be a political issue, but in particular, a resolution to the Avondale situation. Now, you and I, Michael, talked about this five years ago. Well, uh, well, well John, at, in a bar. You, you can't talk to them about it now because no one at Avondale seems to want to talk about it, which is bloody annoying. Yeah, because it's a, it is a valuable asset that isn't, isn't being used, probably won't be used, and it's, surp- and, and, and it's probably surplus to, to the needs. You've got Ellerslie now uh, in great shape, and there are weird and wonderful things that could be done if, if uh, there was a meeting of the minds on, on Avondale. And uh, I think that's the one obvious major thing that could free up a lot of capital to complete the job in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, John, we've got to let you crack on with your day and we also need to move on and I, I, I think a lot of us would echo your, your sentiment there. Just one for the bloodstock nerds out there and people that have followed Arrowfield's success and your stallion roster, is, it's jaw-dropping to be fair. Is there a, is there a young stallion or a young uh, breeding trend or a trend in 2023 as we come into our sales season here that is really exciting you on that side of things? Is there, is there a, a vigour you've got for breeding at the moment? Yeah, um, what we've got and what we've seen in the last few years is the emergence of uh, Japanese size and Japanese racing, of course. Um, and we in Australia have got, we at Arrowfield have got two direct Japanese horses, Admire Mars and Morris. Admire Mars's first yearlings are about to be offered. And uh, my recommendation is that people have a look at them uh, and see what they think because, you know, they've got... Australia has, I think, 72 or 74 Group 1 races. Japan has, I think, 24. It, it, if you can win two or three or four Group 1 races in Japan, you're a bloody good horse. That's what you can say. Uh, and that goes, you know, I don't think that that, that can be disputed now. Uh, and every time one of their top liners goes international and races in anywhere around the world... They're most competitive. So um, we've got a couple of those horses and we're excited about them. One's Morris and the other one's Admire Mars. Morris is on, on his way and Admire Mars has got his first dealings this year. That, in short, is my little story about something new in Australia. I think Japanese blood and Japanese stallions are going to have a real impact here. Yeah, and we look, we've seen it over here as well, of course, with Satono Aladdin. And um, we've just we've been talking about Satono Aladdin today. And Stephanos, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been a, a really interesting uh, addition to the, the breeding market in this part of the world. John, this has been fascinating. Mix, right? We could do a whole hour. Maybe we'll have to organise that over summer um, when we've all got a bit more time. Thank you so much for taking the call this morning, though. I hope you have a wonderful day. It's been a pleasure. S-E-N-Z. John Massara on the mail run with Louis Herman Watt and Mick Guerin. Fascinating insights, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I hope you got a lot out of that. I certainly did the first time listening and got a little bit more out of it as well. We'll take a short break. I'm going to pose something to Joey that he might not like after this break and then we'll get his headlines.
Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Heading across the ditch to talk to Jimmy Smith. They only went to ads about five seconds after us, so I'd imagine he'll be there about now. There he is. There he is, Staffy. Hey, bro. There he is. How are you, bro? Oh, look, another great test win for the Black Caps. Um, you're, always, <laughs> you're always reminding me how good our cricket team is and our women's cricket team beat Pakistan. It's a great weekend to be a Kiwi. Yeah, I love how wobbly they got chasing 130. That's fantastic. Tim Southey. Five down. Tim Southey, 35th birthday today. Happy birthday, Tim. He said it's the worst test pitch he's ever played on. <laughs> well, at least he played. <laughs> we, we had pitches over here he didn't play on. I saw For all sorts that. of different reasons. It was horrific. Uh, Dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny how... So James Battle is our technical expert here at SEN in Sydney, right? And and he's as, as good as it gets, right? So mm-hmm. he just wandered in. He can fix computers and all sorts of things. He, he just wandered in and said, why didn't they just bowl from one end? And I'm like... <laughs> Too logical. What a great idea. Too logical. Yeah, well, but, but seriously, it was at one end, right, was the issue. I know Nick Maddinson came out and said, this, this is totally drenched, this pitch. But I've done that in, in um, over 35s games, right? We worked out... We run too much during change of overs, right? <laughs> so you just bowl 15 overs from one end and then turn around and bowl 15 overs from the other end. And you get through the game really quickly. What, if, for the sake of the broadcast, do the broadcasters care that you're all bowling from one end? No. Couldn't care less? No, I think they all look the same because they've got behind the bowler, they've got the behind the bowler uh, cameras at both ends. So it looks exactly the same Correct. to the people at home. E- exactly right. So who cares? Mm. There's a solution. There is a solution. I wonder solution. if that was considered. I wonder if that was considered last night. Mm. Hey, Jimmy, mm. Um, mm. the Australian women's sevens team have picked up two wins from two tournaments this year. I'm wondering, does that yeah. make the news over there? They are incredible. They are so good. Okay, so it just flashed up on, we were out here preparing for the show. I know it doesn't sound like it, but we do it on occasion. But uh, <laughs> so... They, they went up there, Charlotte Catholic being interviewed, and you go, this is one of the best Australian sporting teams. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on Fox Sports News, so they broadcast the, the Rugby Sevens around the globe. And I'm looking at that and we're saying, well, they're clearly going to be ranked number one in the world for the Olympics. Yep. And, and there's a lot of the um, women there that have stuck around, Charlotte Catholic being one of them. She'll be going to her third Olympics. right? And you look at it and you go, Yep, world-class side, literally world-class side. Beyond Charlotte, every single one of them could walk down the street and be unrecognised. Yeah, that was, that was sort of what I thought. Like our, our Blackfern Sevens girls, uh, they couldn't walk down the street and get not get recognised, if you know what I mean. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just uh, alluding your listeners, you have a fantastic team that play an incredible brand of entertaining Sevens rugby. They were simply outstanding. Um, you know, um, well, I talked about Charlotte Caslick. We had Dom DeToy, who um, the, the high-performance guys uh, at the women's uh, rugby uh, for the Sevens is a guy named Tommy Carter, who you would know from Super Rugby. Yep. Um, I think he was the most hated guy in Super Rugby. He certainly was the most hated guy in club rugby <laughs> in Sydney, in the shoot shield. He just used to get under everyone's skin, teammate included. But um, via my connection with him, Don DeToy came in, and she did about a week's 
um, work experience here during the course of okay. Christmas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, a delight, a, an elite athlete, and then it gives you a, a greater understanding and a greater appreciation of, of how good these girls are. Madison Levi, have you seen her? Scary good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, like six foot five or whatever she is. Could have been an oh, – did play AFL. Then went, oh, yeah, I think I'll give a go on the wing and just scores tries for fun. Yeah. No, they are, they are just, just brilliant. Just brilliant. We actually had on our show yeah. today uh, Mealy Kerr, and she captained the New Zealand cricket team against Pakistan on Saturday in Queenstown. She's – I think she's about 22. Um Took three for 11 off her four overs. Got 35 off 31 with the bat. Big call, big early call. I think at the end of the career, she will be recognised as, well, definitely New Zealand's best ever cricketer and nudging the best ever cricketer in the world, ever. Sophie, Sophie Devine. Goes past Sophie Devine? Yeah. Is, is Sophie Devine New Zealand's greatest women's cricketer? Um, Debbie Hockley probably is. Um, she's a few years ago now. I think she's sort of um, recognised as the GOAT. But we've got Sophie Devine and Susie Bates both in their mid-30s. Susie Bates has scored more ODI international runs than any other man, woman or child in history. Did you know that? Ha- really? Mm-hmm. More than Sachin Tendulkar? Yep. Who played, I think he played 400 ODIs, didn't he, Sachin? Yep. No, he played 200 tests. I didn't look up the stat to verify it, but I heard it from two separate sources over the weekend. The most ODI oh, runs. Oh, maybe, oh, maybe it was T20. Go. It might have been T20, but it was one of the forms. Yeah. Are you down the pub, say, late Saturday, no, but and I'm looking, someone says... I'm, I'm looking out the window at the pub, which is going to get my uh, custom in about <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep, Team um, New Zealand Mondays. Ones. Yeah. Okay. Sneaky beers on a Monday, Staffy. Well, look, it's it's the run into Christmas. I call it training for Christmas. Right. Uh, good point. I, I'm not a big drinker. I need a little few rehearsals. Okay. Hey, we're doing hypotheticals here today. So the hypothetical Coach K gave to me, and I answered immediately was, <laughs> you can lose your middle finger on your left hand yeah. and be healthy for the remainder of your life, that is never get sick, or you keep it and then – Suffer the slings and arrows, uh, re-health. What do you do? Goodbye, digit. Oh, 100%. I, am, I answered in the same amount of time that you took. Yeah. Just get rid of it. Yeah, get rid of, I've had my health scares over my life, and they aren't fun. I would, if, if The diagnoses I've had over my lifetime, and thank goodness I've still got a life, if they had said, mate, we can get rid of that if we take your finger off, I'd hold my hand out. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, Graham. Uh, you don't know Graham Mackay, played for the New South Wales in the mid-1990s, dislocated his finger really badly in a state Illawarra. of origin game. They played were... for Illawarra. No? No, you're thinking of Brad Mackay. Oh, I'm thinking of Brad Mackay with a beautiful curly yeah. perm, yeah. Magnificent hair, actually, yeah. Mm. Now, Graham Mackay, big winger, like first of the really big wingers, would have been 115, 118 Oof. kilos. Yep. Um, playing playing for New South Wales, they, they were struggling to put it back in. He said, cut it off. <laughs> The doctor said, what? He said, cut it off. I've got to get back out there. Cut it off. But in the end, I think they strapped it together, and, and so he went back out there and played. But he said, yeah, cut it off. There's an, there's an All Black did that, couldn't go on tour, or it was a cricketer or an All Black famously, and they said, you can't go on tour, your finger's bung. He did cut it off and went and toured. I'll find out who that was. Well, Angus Crichton had his career threatened, and he kept dislocating the same finger, and he just said, well, cut it off. Jeez, and t- so he has. He's... 
Tougher hombres than you and me, Jimmy. <laughs> heavy anaesthetic. Yeah. Heavy, heavy anaesthetic. Uh, Eddie Jones, quickly, mate. Eddie Jones. Longer. Oh, but it'll make good fodder for us. By crikey, it'll make good fodder. Go, Ed. Go, Ed. Go, Ed. Go, Ed. Good on you. Hey, you, en- you, en- you enjoy those couple of beers this afternoon. Absolutely. James, chat Friday. Um, got a lot of texts about the athlete that chopped his finger off. Um, it was most T20 ones. Uh, Susie Bates, thank you. Russ Conway says Jack was the – I think Jacob Oram chopped off his finger. I think he threatened to chop off his finger to play in a World Cup. I don't think he actually did. Jed Stokes, uh, rugby league player, chopped his finger off. Yes, it's Jed Stokes, who is Ben Stokes' father. Um Chopped his uh, middle finger at the second knuckle off. Russ Conway. Oh, Russ Conway was the all black that broke his finger and had it chopped off to play South Africa. Okay. I didn't know about that one. Well, maybe I did know about that one. Maybe I'd heard the story and couldn't remember. Do you remember the um, comedian Dave Allen? He had one finger. He used to have a TV show when I was a kid. And he told the story about how he lost his finger. And it it sounded like a true story. It ended up being a joke. Very funny. Very, very funny. Uh, winners. 12 Castles is going to Kapiti Stew. My wife bought me a beer hug 12-pack, mixed craft beer, different brewer each month, delivered over a month as a gift a couple of years ago. It was bloody fantastic. She hasn't got it for me again since. So I'm just going to give you one month supply, Kapiti Stew. You'll get that. Um, we had a few notable commended as well. I'll see you Wednesday. There's cricket tomorrow.